Chapter 11 of an Essay on the Principle of Population. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. An Essay on the Principle of Population by Thomas Malthus. Chapter 11. Mr. Godwin's Conjecture concerning the future extinction of the passion between the sexes. Little apparent grounds for such a conjecture. Passion of love, not inconsistent either with reason or virtue. We have supported Mr. Godwin's system of society once completely established. But it is supposing an impossibility. The same causes in nature which would destroy it so rapidly, were it once established, would prevent the possibility of its establishment and upon what grounds we can presume a change in these natural causes i am utterly at a loss to conjecture no move towards the extinction of the passion between the sexes has taken place in the five or six thousand years that the world has existed men in the decline of life have in all ages declaimed against a passion which they have ceased to feel but with as little reason as success those who from coldness of constitutional temperament have never felt what love is will surely be allowed to be very incompetent judges with regard to the power of this passion to contribute to the sum of pleasurable sensations in life those who have spent their youth in criminal excesses and have repaired for themselves as the comforts of their age corporeal debility and mental remorse may well inveigh against such pleasures as vain and futile and unproductive of lasting satisfaction but the pleasures of pure love will bear the contemplation of the most improved reason and the most exalted virtue perhaps there is scarcely a man who has once experienced the genuine delight of virtuous love however great his intellectual pleasure may have been that does not look back to the period as the sunny spot in his whole life where his imagination loves to bask which he recollects and contemplates with the fondest regrets and which he would most wish to live over again the superiority of intellectual to sensual pleasures consists rather in their filling up more time in their having a larger range and in their being less liable to satiety than in their being more real and essential intemperance in every enjoyment defeats its own purpose a walk in the finest day through the most beautiful country if pursued too far ends in pain and fatigue the most wholesome and invigorating food eaten with an unrestrained appetite produces weakness instead of strength even intellectual pleasures though certainly less liable than others to satiety pursued with too little intermission debilitate the body and impair the vigour of the mind to argue against the reality of these pleasures from their abuse seems to be hardly just morality according to mr godwin is a calculation of consequences or as archdeacon paley very justly expresses it the will of god as collected from general expediency according to either of these definitions a sensual pleasure not attended with the probability of unhappy consequences does not offend against the laws of morality and if it be pursued with such a degree of temperance as to leave the most ample room for intellectual attainments it must undoubtedly add to the sum of pleasurable sensations in life virtuous love exalted by friendship seems to be that sort of mixture of sensual and intellectual enjoyment particularly suited to the nature of man and most powerfully calculated to awaken the sympathies of the soul and produce the most exquisite gratifications 
Mr. Godwin says, in order to show the evident inferiority of the pleasures of sense, strip the commerce of the sexes of all its attendant circumstances, and it would be generally despised. Book 1, Chapter 5, in the 3rd edition, Volume 1, pages 71 to 72. He might as well say to a man who admired trees, strip them of their spreading branches and lovely foliage, and what beauty can you see in a bare pole? But it was the tree with the branches and foliage, and not without them, that excited admiration. One feature of an object may be as distinct, and excite as different emotions from the aggregate as any two things the most remote, as a beautiful woman and a map of Madagascar. It is the symmetry of person, the vivacity, the voluptuous softness of temper, the affectionate kindness of feelings, the imagination and the wit of a woman that excites the passion of love, and not the mere distinction of her being female. Urged by the passion of love, men have been driven into acts highly prejudicial to the general interests of society, but probably they would have found no difficulty in resisting the temptation had it appeared in the form of a woman with no other attractions whatever but her sex. To strip sensual pleasures of all their adjuncts, in order to prove their inferiority, is to deprive a magnet of some of its most essential causes of attraction, and then to say that it is weak and inefficient. In the pursuit of every enjoyment, whether sensual or intellectual, reason, that faculty which enables us to calculate consequences, is the proper corrective and guide. It is probable, therefore, that improved reason will always tend to prevent the abuse of sensual pleasures, though it by no means follows that it will extinguish them. I have endeavoured to expose the fallacy of that argument which infers an unlimited progress from a partial improvement, the limits of which cannot be exactly ascertained. It has appeared, I think, that there are many instances in which a decided progress has been observed, where yet it would be a gross absurdity to suppose that progress indefinite. But, towards the extinction of the passion between the sexes, no observable progress whatever has hitherto been made. To suppose such an extinction, therefore, is merely to offer an unfounded conjecture, unsupported by any philosophical probabilities. It is a truth, which history, I am afraid, makes too clear, that some men of the highest mental powers have been addicted not only to a moderate, but even to an immoderate indulgence in the pleasures of sensual love, but allowing, as I should be inclined to do, notwithstanding numerous instances to the contrary, that great intellectual exertions tend to diminish the empire of this passion over men, it is evident that the mass of mankind must be improved more highly than the brightest ornaments of the species at present, before any difference can take place sufficient sensibly to affect population. I would by no means suppose that the mass of mankind has reached its term of improvement, but the principal argument of this essay tends to place in a strong point of view the improbability that the lower classes of people in any country should ever be sufficiently free from want and labour to obtain any high degree of intellectual improvement. End of chapter 11 Recording by Geoffrey Edwards